Thank you for your uh, patience with me. I preach in a lot of different churches in our presbytery, and everybody does things that's a little bit different. So if I see somebody looking at me strangely, I'll, uh, I won't be uh, embarrassed. Our scripture text today is Psalm 99. I'll read the entire psalm, although we'll be looking at one particular verse. Um, I do preach twice a month at a church in Virginia. And I've been preaching through the Psalms. And this is one Psalm that uh, I thought was fairly relevant for today. Psalm 99. I'll read the entire Psalm, but we'll be looking at verse 4. Psalm 99. Let's hear the reading of uh, God's Word. The Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble. He is enthroned above the cherubim, let the earth shake. The Lord is great in Zion, and he is exalted above all the peoples. Let them praise your great name and awesome name, for holy is he. The strength of the king loves justice. And you have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool, for holy is he. Moses and Aaron were among his priests, and Samuel was among those who called on his name. They called upon the Lord, and he answered them. He spoke to them in the pillar of a cloud, and they kept his testimonies and the statute that he gave them. Our Lord, our God, you answered them. You were a forgiving God to them, and yet an avenger of their evil deeds. Exalt the Lord, our God, and worship at his holy hill. For holy is the Lord, our God. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we confess we have before us the living word of God. And we pray that you will help us in our day and time to understand from the minds of the writers of the Holy Scriptures, their hearts, and the heart of our God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I am not a person who watches late night television and the talk shows and etc. I'm not even a man who's on Twitter. Uh, most of the... Uh, Outrageous things that are said on Twitter are eventually come to my email box. And so I don't really need to be on Twitter. I am on Facebook. And I do have a good number of friends I communicate with on Facebook. But there is a talk show host named Bill Maurer who had as a guest recently Bernie Sanders a former 
former presidential candidate and a what I would call a socialist leader in the United States. And because he was so he has been the leadership in this movement toward what we would call the political left, Bill asked him the question, he said, explain to me the difference between equality and equity. And Bernie Sanders stuttered and said, I don't know. I don't know what the answer to that question is. And when I read that, I thought, you don't know. You've been pushing this for most of your life. The word equity is everywhere, and you don't know what it is. I came to the conclusion hardly anybody knows what it is. It's become the mantra for the woke movement. And preaching through the Psalms, I came across the word equity. In verse 4, the strength of the king loves justice. You have established equity. You've executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. It's a novel idea in our day and time. When we hear words like this, equity, for somebody to say, what is it? And to say, maybe we ought to go to the Bible and find out what it means. Isn't that a novel idea? I hear it all the time. Bernie Sanders doesn't know what it is. Bill Maher doesn't know what it is. You may not know what it is. And somebody needs to stand up and say, what does the Bible say it is? What does the Bible say? Does anybody ever ask that question? And the answer that I find is no. Not even preachers. And I know preachers all across the PCA. And if I bring up the word equity, they say, oh, Larry, you're going too far here. You're getting into politics. And I say, well, the word equity is used in the Bible. And you know, it's used over ten times in the Bible. I was reading a proverb just the other day and it had the word equity in it. And so we need to understand what the word equity means. After all, there are diversity, equity, inclusion officers, DEI, in most every university, every corporation in the United States. And some of them get paid $200,000 a year right out of college, right out of Harvard or Yale or UCLA, to be the DEI officer, which includes equity. Somebody needs to tell us what the word means. And so this morning, I want to look at three things. Number one, 
The word equity has changed uh, meanings over the last 10 to 20 years. Words change their meanings over time. When you live 70 some years old, you come to understand that. What equity meant 70 years ago or 75 years ago is not what it means today. Secondly, we're going to look at the old meaning of equity, the biblical meaning of equity. And then thirdly, we're going to look at the modern meaning of equity. What does it mean today? Words change meanings, number one. What did it used to mean? What does it mean in the Bible? Number two. And number three, what does it mean today? Number one, words change their meaning. The word gay used to mean happy and delighted. We had a family in our town called the Gay family. Their last name was Gay, G-A-Y. And one of them owned a barbershop. It was called Gay's Barbershop, which everybody went to Gay's Barbershop. But I think today not everybody would maybe go to Gay's Barbershop because the word, the meaning of the word has changed. The Christmas song, Deck the Halls with Boughs of Holly, Tis the season to be jolly. Don we now our gay apparel. We sing that maybe every Christmas. It meant delighted, happy. We like gay people. We love gay people. You may be a gay person. West Side Story. The movie, and I, I could probably sing this, I feel pretty, oh so pretty, I feel pretty and witty and gay, and I pity the girl who isn't me today. The Flintstones were gay, both Fred and Wilma. And every time you turn on the Flintstones, you heard this little tune. When you're with the Flintstones, have a yabba dabba do day. A dabba do time. We'll have a gay old time. It's not been that many years ago. I wonder how they sing it today. I'm not sure. That's what the word. or how the word gay has changed. Today, the word gay has been hijacked by the LGBTQ plus alphabet soup. And it means a perversion, a homosexual, a lesbian, same-sex attraction, and maybe now even transgender, I'm not sure. Words change their meanings over time. The word woman is in the process of being changed. Judge Brown Jackson, in her 
nomination interview before the Senate committee was asked by our Tennessee Senator, Marsha Blackburn, would you define a woman? And she said, no, I can't. A little bit like Bernie Sanders. No, I can't. I'm not a biologist, she said. Well, you know what? I know what a woman is. I'm married to one. <laughs> In the past, you knew the difference between a male and a female when they were born. And who would become a woman and who would become a man? Today, you can be a man who puts on a dress and lipstick and strut around in high heels and call yourself a woman. And if you do, we're obligated to call you a woman. And in some places, if you don't do that, you may lose your job. It happens. The modern world is a circus. As a friend of mine who recently wrote in a book, he said, it's a trash world. And the language is changing along with the circus. That's just to show you how words change. And we Christians sometimes are the last to figure it out. The old meaning of equity, number, my point number two, the old meaning of equity, if you go to an old dictionary, don't go to the, uh, the new dictionaries, all right? My wife used to sell World Book Encyclopedia. And they're out of date now. Nobody buys them anymore. Nobody sells them, I don't think, anymore. And we have a set. She, she at least sold one set. Okay. And we thought about throwing them away, and I said, no, don't throw them away. <laughs> there are things in there that uh, are defines the age in which we were raised, and I want to keep those. You can look up uh, you can look up the subject of Marxism fifty years ago. And today, and wow, the differences change. Karl Marx. But anyway, the old definition of uh, equity meant basically fair, impartial, and just. Equity is not a bad word. It's a good word. Fair, impartial, and just. Psalm 99, 4 the strength of the king loves justice. The king has to rule, and he must rule in accordance with God's justice. You have established equity. You have established the law of God, which is fair, impartial, and just. And I, as king, must rule in accordance with your law. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at His footstool, for He is holy. 
Equity here reflects the holiness of God and how the king was to apply his law as he ruled the nation of Israel. And you know, not many people are aware of this. When you talk, you remember King David says, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation day and night. You know what law that King David had? He didn't have the Psalms. He didn't have the prophets. He didn't have the New Testament. He had the Pentateuch. He had the five books of Moses. And when he says, Oh, how I love thy law, he was talking about the five books of Moses. I meditate them day and night so that I might learn how to administer the law of God and justice that reflects the character of God. Because God's told me how to do it. For holy is He. And so He knew what equity was. He read God's law and He found things like this. In in Exodus, for example, when the king had to rule on a... uh, For example, a theft or some of his judges had to rule under him. Somebody stole something. What is equity? When there's a crime, what is equity? What is a commensurate penalty for the crime? What is just, oh God? Tell me what is just. Exodus 22, verse 3 and 4 he shall make restitution, a thief. If he owns nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. If what he stole is found alive in his possession, whether an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he shall pay double. That was biblical equity. If you steal, you had to pay back. You don't go to jail. You don't go to prison. You pay back what you stole. Not only do you pay back what you stole, you pay back double. You pay back what you stole and you pay back double probably for the pain of suffering you caused. Now, if you steal an ox or a sheep, and they die and you can't pay it back. And if, if you don't have the money, number two, you say, well, I can't pay back if I don't have the money. Okay, what do we do then? Well, you become a slave. You work it off until you pay it back. You become my slave, the victim. You work for me six months. You'll earn double what you stole. You pay it back. And then you're free to go. That was God's law. That was equity. If you steal an ox and the ox is sold and you can't recover it or it dies, then you pay back five oxen. Five. Not two, but five. If you steal a sheep and you can't pay it back, you pay back four or sheep. An ox was much more productive than a sheep. And the victim's not going to lose here, okay? He's not going to lose. You don't pay the state. You don't pay the people. You pay the victim. 
And if you can't pay, you work it off until you can pay. Restitution. If you steal a candy bar, you pay by two. If you steal $100, you pay back $200. This was the king. He, he had to know this because that's what God commanded. If you are responsible for someone else's property and you are negligent, the Bible tells the king what to do. He's got to pay back whatever was lost. If somebody loses their animal, agricultural culture, and you find it in your farm, on your farm, in your home, you are to return it. And if they're not home, you are to keep it until they get home. And then you return it. You can find all these laws in the book of uh, the Pentateuch. If you're guilty of murder, Lord, what should I do? What does God require of the king and the King David? Well, upon the basis of two or three witnesses, you've got to have two or three witnesses. You cannot put a man to death apart from two or three witnesses. And if you have a false witness, if he lies in a murder trial, he'll be put to death. Not many people lied in court. And David didn't make these laws up himself, nor did Moses. He received them from God. This is God's law. But if you murder somebody and there are two or three witnesses, you shall be put to death. Genesis. We can go back before Deuteronomy and Leviticus and all those laws. Genesis. If a man sheds the blood of another man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. If we had the death penalty again, we would reduce the murder rate today tremendously. And by the way, in the Old Testament, the murderer was to be put to death publicly. The murderer was to be put to death publicly. Now my grandfather, who lived in Jackson County, West Virginia, named after... Uh, Stonewall Jackson saw the last man hung, hanged in Jackson County, West Virginia on a Sunday afternoon. And everybody brought their lunches and everybody watched. That was biblical. I don't know about on Sunday, but that was biblical. If you kill another man you murder another man, you're going to die. In the New Testament, it says if a, an elder sins, 
He is to be rebuked publicly so that the rest may be fearful of sinning. Death as a penalty for murder puts fear in people and there will be less murders. We can stop all this murder business real fast in this country. We can shut down the prisons and start putting murderers to death and God will be pleased. We will have equity as defined in the Word of God. God also commanded equity for the land. The land. He created the world. He made it. He loves land. He loves the trees and the flowers and the gardens. He loves it. He made it. The first environmentalist was God. And he says, you know, when you go out to farm the land, make sure you let it rest every seven years. One whole year. Don't you dare plan anything in the land. Give it a rest. It's my land. I made it. And it's only fair and right and just that my land that I love, that dirt, receive justice. Now, the Israelites didn't do it. They went 49 years at least, I think, without a Sabbath year for the land. Do you know what God did? He says, to Babylon you go. And the land will have its rest. And that's in the Scriptures. The land will have its rest. That's fairness. That's equity. To the land. We must take care of the land. Strangers and aliens who came from other nations, legally I might say, were under the same law as the Israelites. They were to be treated no less than the citizens of the country. Don't you dare take advantage of an alien or a stranger. It's easy to do when they don't know your culture or know your language. Oh, you can just direct them in ways that will make it all humorous. But God said, you treat them as you would treat your own neighbor. That's fair. Because you were in Egypt, you know what it's like to be an alien in a foreign land. That's what equity was in the Bible. What does God's Word say? What does the book of Deuteronomy say about this situation? And you know, all this politicking and preaching that's going on today, nobody ever says a thing about it. Which is why I get angry sometimes about these things. And I write articles and I write books. I've written three books. Article after article, month after month. Basically targeting preachers and telling them, preach the Word of God. Love God's law. Love equity. Learn what equity is. Biblical equity. 
Now, it was corrupted down through history. In some places, in some foreign lands under pagan religions, if you stole a candy bar, they would cut off your right hand. That's not fair. That's not fair. That's not the Christian faith that conquered the West. My wife and I, on occasion, watch Britbox on television and we watched an old movie where some little child, about 10 years old, was working for some rich family in the community and she stole a handkerchief. A handkerchief. And she got 10 years in a correctional institution. This is in Great Britain, in the Christian era. God forbid. Ten years in prison for stealing a handkerchief? That's not equity. That's not fair. In biblical equity, the penalty must be proportional to the crime. It's not harsh. And it's not too light. In the Wild West, I suppose, at least from the movies I watch, I never lived there, I don't know, uh, you stole a horse, you could be hanged. Well, that's not equity. That's not biblical. There are ways to handle that. You pay back, maybe four times, five times. You can't pay it, you become a slave until you work it off. You don't hang somebody, you don't kill somebody. Also in the Old Testament, justice was blind. Lady Justice with the blindfolds on her eyes. Leviticus 19.15 Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great. But in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor as yourself. No two-tier justice system. Just because they're poor, they don't get off. Just because they're rich, they don't get off. You don't look at the person... You look at the law and put a blindfold on and apply the law of God regardless of the person. That was equity. Some of us were raised on that kind of equity. Now, thirdly, the modern term equity, let me explain it to you in two little sentences here and this was on my Facebook not too long ago, and I got a lot of likes on this. You know, you count your likes. How many people like this one? Seventy-some people. This is what I said. If you steal my property, you are a thief. And you pay me double because it belongs to me. Okay? You steal my property, you are a thief, and you pay double because it belongs to me. That's the old equity. The old. Now here's the new. If you steal my property, then it belongs to you because I am a thief. Did you get that? Let me, let me say it again. The old equity, if you steal my property, you are a thief and you pay me double because it belongs to me. Modern equity, you steal my property, then it belongs to you because I am a thief. 
because I'm white, I'm a man, I'm a Christian, I'm not six feet tall, but I'm, that's me. My son was involved in a training program in a large corporation one time, and they they told him because he was white, and I don't have time to go through all of this, but they put him all on the line, all the officers of the corporation, and they told him to come walk, step forward if you are uh, male, take one step forward if you are uh, married, take one step forward if you are white, take one step forward uh, if you're over six feet tall. And he's 6'4". So he's at the head of the line. And then they tell him, okay, look behind you and look at all the people you have oppressed. Now this is a major corporation in the United States of America training their corporate officers on how to be a person who loves equity. And I've got more stories, but I won't tell them all. If you steal my property, it's yours now. And I'm the thief. That's what they teach in college. What they teach in the universities. If I make a, if I take the ACT test, which I did, I have, I'm very embarrassed. My score was very low. I had a good friend who, uh, I made better grades than he did in, in, in my classes. And he made very high. And he got a full scholarship to Harvard University, went on to Harvard Law School, and became a big lawyer in Washington, D.C. Mine was so low, I didn't get anything. <laughs> I went to West Virginia Tech, 20 minutes from my house. Didn't get a penny. I think he made a 36, I made a 21. That's not fair, fair. That's not fair. You get to go to Harvard, I don't, and go looking back on the thing, God, I didn't go to Harvard, okay? God's providence. In San Francisco, if you steal up to $950, You can walk into a store and take out $950 worth of merchandise. And if you're the retailer, you cannot apprehend the thief. If you do, you'll be sued. Smash and grab. Thousands of dollars in high-cost jewelry. They come in, they smash the glass, and they grab the jewelry, and they run off, and nobody's allowed to do anything. The Walmart employee who confronted a thief got fired. Right? Don't you dare confront a thief. Don't, Don't do that. Because you are the thief. And they are the victim. Modern equity.
I have a lot more I could say. I This is a boiled down lecture I gave in Charlotte, North Carolina about a month ago at the Charlotte uh, Christian Worldview Conference on what is equity. So I'll try to uh, skip on in here and conclude. Let me give you one more story. Uh, Dan Caffey. Dan Caffey was president of Chick-fil-A. And Dan Caffey was told, because you're rich and you're white and you're a Christian, you're guilty of all the sins of the past in America. And so Dan Caffey in downtown Atlanta went to a meeting and they told him that he needed to get down on his knees and shine the shoes of a black man. And he did. He did. Because he felt guilty. You see, guilt is this... You can, you can enforce equity through the law or you can do it through guilt. And he was filled with so much guilt that he was guilty for everything in the past that was bad in America because he was rich, he was white, and he was a Christian. The black man I heard asking for some stock in Chick-fil-A. Hey, come on now, more than shoe shining. And I don't know if he gave him any stock or not. I don't think he did. So, I just wanted to cover those three. I did it fairly quickly. <clears throat> Words change, me, uh, change meanings. The old meaning of equity, we have to go to God's Word to see what's pleasing to God. The modern meaning of equity is basically a transfer of wealth from those who have to those who don't. As one of my good friends wrote recently, it's time to get even. That's what it's all about. It's time to get even. And you are guilty. Modern equity. What's the answer? The answer is to return to the Word of God. The answer is the restoration of the home. The answer is the putting fathers back into the homes. The answer is applying the Word of God to the crimes we have today. The answer is to change men's hearts. Preach the Word of God. Preach the Gospel. Sin, repentance, faith, which changes lives, which changes institutions, which changes society. It's not a top-down answer. It's a bottom-up. We've got to preach the Gospel to people. We've got to see changed hearts. We've got to see people who come to love Christ and the forgiveness of His sins. That There's no hope apart from Christ. What can I do now? To love God. Open His Word. And live by what He calls equity in His Word. We have to realize too, and I'll conclude with this, that God is a God not only of equity, but He's a God of grace. 
If God were just with all of us, we'd all be dead now and buried in the grave because we've sinned against Him. But God is a gracious God and He has taken our sin and our guilt and nailed them to the cross and imputed them to Jesus Christ. God is not only a God of equity, but He's a God of grace. And we must preach that. You can't know what equity is really until you know what grace is. God is gracious. That's the only hope for America. It's the only hope for the church. It's the only hope for us as individuals. We must keep up with what's going on in the world and we must speak to it from God's Word. And we must be reminded that we cannot change the world through legislation and elections, but through what? Through the preaching of the Gospel of Jesus Christ and the grace of God where people will come to love Christ so much they will want to do as He commands. We will define equity according to God's law. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray that we might be wise in our own generation. Help us not to run off into hiding, but help us to confront the errors of our day. But let us not be proud. For we know that if God were just with us, we would be in hell today. But God is a God of grace. And equity has been met because our guilt has been imputed to Christ and we have been declared innocent and free to live for Him. Lord, help us to remember all these things in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, we'll now have the, uh, the Lord's Supper. Do we sing a couple of verses first or not? No.